0: I do not approve every single invoice today. 19 years ago, I not only approved every invoice, I cut the check through QuickBooks. Okay. There are invoices that you like to write the check for, and there are invoices that you don't. Our goal is that our invoices are never questioned, that no one goes, Golly, what do we, why do we spend this money with them this month? You know, that kind of thing. And, And if you are, if you're over delivering to what the expense to your customer is, then your price is right. If you're under delivering for the price, you're gonna be out the door anyway. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For
1: years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. Do you ever just meet someone who's just really freaking happy? Like before you even spoke to them, you just knew this is a happy guy. What was my experience with Ed Howie. I met Ed in Tennessee. We work with the same business partner there and we sat at the same table during an event. Ed is a lot of things. Successful owner of the marketing firm BTY Creative. He is also the founding partner of Gusto Restaurants. And perhaps the most shockingly at the time, he is also a certified spin instructor. This man is an onion. Lots of layers but he really knows his industry. We had a good conversation in Tennessee about marketing. He's been in marketing and operational leadership for 25 plus years with Chick-fil-A, H-E-B Grocery. He has led teams of communication experts for years. He's also a keynote speaker and rumor has it we might be able to read some of his material in the near future. The guy's up to a lot of stuff. One thing he's very passionate about is sharing his information So today we're sitting down with him to understand his particular focus on joy. He shares openly with us. He doesn't hold back, both personal and professional. He tells us what changed 16 years ago for him personally. He will walk us through how not to be a commodity in our business and how his naturally joyous way, combined with his desire to avoid conflict, led to some overdue conversations and then we get into a heated discussion on how to receive compliments and what not to say in those situations. Thank you for joining us and spending this time together. Now let's get into it. It's so great to have you here today, Ed. Thanks for joining us.
0: April, good to see you.
1: Woo-hoo. So Ed and I met in Nashville was the first time, right?
0: That's right. Well, we met her on Facebook before, but anyway.
1: I mean, yeah, it starts at Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg had a hand in us meeting. Thank you, Mark. But then it evolved from there. So I've got to tell you, Pivoters, that one of the things that stuck out right away about Ed was that we sat at the same table and there's lots of amazing people sitting at the table, but there is... Whew, like an energy to you this probably comes as no surprise that i'm saying this but there's an energy to ed and there is a well joy to ed that is palpable and so is a great group of business leaders but he really stuck out as like this guy's got something figured out so i was really wow. excited to talk to you and understand what that
0: was that was a room of pretty incredible people so i take that as high compliment wow
1: really want well, to well.
0: say you know you know i'm i've got a lot of energy but i also don't lie I mean, I felt the same about you. There's just that energy and you know, people walk in the room and either suck energy out or bring it, I believe. Now there are <laughs> yeah. a lot of people that just are non-existent, unfortunately. But you know what I mean? But you're definitely an energy bringer. So I've been looking forward to this time for a while.
1: Woo-hoo! I always say that we're all influencers. We're just not always intentional about it. Every room we enter, any conversation we enter, we are influencing another person. So choose how you're influencing them.
0: All about intentionality, baby
1: it so is. So, you know, we're going to talk about the marketing piece and the work that you do with your company, but I'm really curious how you became so passionate about bringing that energy. I mean, were you always this way or did you kind of double down at some point in your life?
0: Wow. Okay. So let's just get in there. We went heavy, um, right? <laughs> so if you're, a, are you an Enneagram person? I forget.
1: I am new to that game. So I just finally sat down and got tested a few weeks ago. So I'm late to that game. All right.
0: So if you're an Enneagram person, I'm a seven, which is an enthusiast. All right. So I've always lived into the world of seven before I knew it was a seven, all about adventure experience. However, I was handicapping that enthusiasm, that joy with alcohol and i didn't really realize i don't know if you know this part i didn't really realize that it wasn't like i was homeless or under the bridge but what happened is with all this energy i had lost the capacity to find peace to calm myself and i'd become habitually connected to alcohol as my like light switch to turn off and on and it be- progressively became more consistent And I had a situation almost 16 years ago where I realized that alcohol had more control over me than I ever it. And I don't like that uh, equation. And so I not only chose, but I asked God to remove the desire from alcohol from me for the rest of my life because I knew he was powerful enough to do it. And I apparently wasn't powerful enough to do it myself. And that's what he and we did September 28th, 2006.
1: Congratulations. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, and so what it was for me, April, it wasn't that I was like coming drunk to work or whatever. And and it's funny, it's been like 16 years and I saw friends say, "Like, man, you were wasted at the party last night. I was like, yeah, yeah no, one it wasn't. Anyway, so it didn't necessarily change my external presence, but it totally flipped my internal because what happened is that I was not acknowledging the reality of life. I did not have a clear lens on life. And mine came not from not having energy. It was not being candid with people. Like I was feeling guilty for not, for being disappointed in people or for being unhappy or for not being thankful because that's how I was wired. So I had this internal conflict. And so I became very intentional about living life in the moment. And that has permeated my life and hopefully the life of those around me for the last 16 years.
1: That's a, a heck of a story. I You never know when you get asked about just like underneath the surface, like, let's see what's under their head. I love it.
0: Well, look, you want to add a little gravitas to it. A year before that, I was in a pretty substantial car accident. Eight weeks surgery recovery, healed from it. But then the second I started swimming after eight weeks on crutches, I all of a sudden just became nauseous, painful. That kind of, anyway, I had staff and strep in my leg.
1: Oh my gosh. So
0: I was on crutches for five months, had four knee surgeries, almost lost my knee, almost died. But what's interesting about that was a year before I chose to stop drinking. And for five months, I didn't drink because I was on antibiotics and pick line. I mean, it was, and so I actually had thought, oh, well, I really don't have a problem with alcohol because I haven't had it in my life. But then I reintroduced it to my life and it wasn't like I started from scratch. You know what I mean? And it just, it was showing that... My point in sharing that is that we all have things that we allow to govern ourselves in life for good or for bad. And I realized that when it came to alcohol, literally unless I went back to the fraternity, there was no one that was gonna put a beer bong in my mouth ever again. So if I ever chose to drink again, it was because no matter what the situation, I chose to do that. So I chose to flip the equation. The way to choose, the way not to drink again is to choose not to drink. And so, that logic has just kind of like really strengthened me and my whole life, not just about alcohol because alcohol is just a symptom.
1: So. Symptom for sure. Yep. I'm curious when you said you weren't being candid with people, what does that look like?
0: So being a positive, joyful person, which I'm blessed to be, and it is, is my natural response to life. Okay. I had a hard time dealing with people, disappointing me, call it a people pleaser or whatever. My family love them to death, but conflict was not our strong suit conflict avoidance, passive aggressive. We were good at that. And I mean, and it wasn't in the evil way. It was just in the, just kind of the behavior way, right? Conditioned. And so being a business owner, holding people accountable, holding myself accountable, I was having a hard time dealing with disappointments. Uh, and so then, or frankly, dealing with unpleasant emotions. And so I thought alcohol, a liquid would actually solve that, which is like totally irrational when we're talking about it, but you know what? A lot of people do it. And that was just one of the things. But and so what I found was that I would have something that was uncomfortable, created discomfort, and I would set it aside versus deal with it versus going, April, you know what? You said this was at 12 o'clock. We started at one, which is not what happened. But you know what I mean? Just saying, hey, you know, I'm disappointed we started late. You know, I wouldn't even, mm-hmm. I was uncomfortable with stuff like that. So what it caused me to do is I was devoidant of critical thinking towards other people, which is not good for your business clients. Mm. Like, you know, every customer is right. No, they're not.
1: (laughs) Not all the time.
0: And so when I chose to live my life more deliberately, more intentionally, it's also, which can be kind of difficult for people like me, is that can be shocking when I tell you you disappointed me. And I don't do it. I don't use cuss words. I'm not... Rude, but because I'm always yeah, it's like I also have pretty high expectations. You know, one of our deals is we have a glass door that glass that comes in our office. If you're gonna trust us with your brand, we should be able to keep a glass door clean. You know, (laughs) and so that's a big deal for me. Does that make sense? And so instead of like being mad that someone didn't wipe the glass, I go, hey Nani, can you grab a towel, (laughs) or I grab the towel or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So that was a big part of it
1: that makes sense. I'm just thinking about that. I I could see how if you're naturally or conditioned to be conflict avoidant and you associate with being a joyful, happy person, the idea that you're about to have a conversation with someone that's not going to potentially evoke joy in them might run counter to how you identify as a person.
0: That, but also like I would take on other people's crap to the nth degree. I would focus only on what I could have done to help that employee better versus be as candid, say, you know, using employees' example, Sue, we have to Sue, but I'm not talking to you, Sue. but <laughs> Not sue, sue. sue. Not Sue. But Sue, this is what I expected. This is what we needed. This is what needs to happen. And so I have grown, I mean, I'm 55 years old now, but I've grown, I think, I feel like I've grown more in the last 15, 16 years than I grew maybe the 20 years before. I'm loving it.
1: Wow. That says a lot. I also really resonate with the idea of, I was focused on how I could have helped that employee more instead of maybe where that employee fell short. When you said that, I was like, Ooh, I know that well.
0: Well, I mean, if if you are a well-intended entrepreneur or business owner, you're not doing it just for the revenue. You're doing it for the success of those around you. Now there are a lot of people that aren't that way, but I know we are right. And so I was disappointed by this person who I don't want to disappoint me, but then I was also like, what could I have done to do this better? That is part of the equation. What could they have done to do this better?
1: Yes. Yes. Both questions are equally important, but some people are wired to ask one versus the other and you need to ask them both.
0: Well, and sometimes you have to tell someone that they're not performing. And Mm -hmm. I was with Chick-fil-A corporate for a long time. My mentor there, my very first boss, Sunny Noon, amazing human. He was like two things. One is there's a drama behind every face and two, bad news does not get better with time. And those two principles have really informed me, especially as I am much more clear on the reality of my present situation, my present moment.
1: Bad news doesn't get better with time. I love that. Never. I had an, I had a version of that, which it was, oh, now I'm going to paraphrase it, but it was essentially that time doesn't make a hard conversation easier.
0: Mm-hmm. Makes it Sorry, worse, actually. D-
1: Yeah. Then you like stew on it and all the things. You you like imagine how it's going to be
0: that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's good. That's good. So I want us to, to, to pivot a little bit. So thank you for sharing about what I know. Still on brand. It's so funny because this could literally be a game whenever you interview someone on the Pivot Me podcast, pivot, not usually by me, I'll wait and they will say it two or three times. And then are like, oh, look, it's in the title. And I'm like, yeah, that totally happens on purpose. So,
0: well, we can have a whole conversation on pivot or rivet. I don't know if you saw that on the YouTube, but I've got an episode.
1: I saw that.
0: The whole deal is that if you're pivoting and it's not a rivet, meaning it's not a permanent change, you better tell your customers just to pivot because they become conditioned on your pivot. And then you pivot back like, hey, what happened to the free fries I used to get? You know, so yeah. Yeah. Love it.
1: That's so true. So I, I'm thinking about a piece that you did about not being a commodity and what that means and how to be less than a commodity. So I'm, I'm thinking about the business owners that are listening right now. For sure. And, you know, we talked a little bit about who the pivoters typically are, and we definitely get some corporate people as well, but the large majority of our listeners are entrepreneurs. And some of us don't sit there and think about, okay, am I a commodity in my space, whether it's a product or service-based business, am I a commodity in the space? And if I am, if I'm starting. To lean towards that, how do I lean away from that? Or maybe even the better word is how to appreciate the ways that I'm not a commodity. So, can you talk to us about how not to be a commodity?
0: Oh, yeah. So, one, so I was in corporate America until 19 years ago, I started my own marketing branding firm, B2I Creative, 19 years today, as a matter of fact. Woo-hoo! Wow, 19 years today. This is like, all right, it was the day after Labor Day. So, anyway, I did it primarily because at that point I was with a company called HEB Grocery, which is based in Texas now like a 30 some billion dollar grocery store chain, not quite that big when I was there. But anyway, so I'd have, I have this corporate responsibility and 300 stores and all these p and and all these numbers and all these deals. But we would have particularly newer entrepreneurs come and pitch us their food product to get on the shelves. And within five minutes, I'm being like, oh crap, they're gonna fail. Or, oh crap, they're gonna, we need them, keep them out of Kroger or whatever. And what I first say to someone especially an established entrepreneur is when you chose to start your own business or your next business, did you go, there are 30 people already doing it this way. So let me do it that way. Cause I want to do it just like them. Cause they're being successful. Now there are some business models that are purely Xerox versions of another business. Okay. But I think the true entrepreneurs, not just the, the optimizers, if you will, or the, the whatever, but Uh, There's other names for that. But anyway, for the people that are truly trying to create something new, you didn't choose to risk your life and your money and your family and your funds because you thought you could do something just like everyone else. So I encourage people to go back to the origin story. Why did you choose to start this business or start this brand? And typically, what happens is that we either get lazy because we're worn out because we're entrepreneurs (laughs) or our customers force us into a commoditization. Well, we want you to do this, but this is how this company is doing it. So if you're going to do this for us, you got to do it like them. And so we get worn down into less distinction and more efficiency. And I believe you can be distinct and efficient at the same point. And it, it doesn't have to be like... 99% never done before. What is it about the experience? You may be selling the the same product that 20, 30, 100 people are doing. What is it about the way that you do it, the way that you treat me, the way you treat your employees, the light fixture when you walk into your office, the way that you reply to emails, whatever it is, what is it that makes you stand out? There's kind of funny. There's a box of cereal right behind my head, Mm -hmm. my face on it. Okay. Yep. I believe we are all a box of cereal and we're all a unique box of cereal. As humans, as business owners, that kind of thing. But we got to know what's in our box of cereal. Because if you think about your grocery store, you turn down the grocery, the cereal aisle in the grocery lane, you're just overwhelmed by all these boxes of cereal. Some are going to catch your eye, some are not. I want to catch people's eye.
1: And I'm just thinking about the position you're in with the grocery store. I'm going to go back to that. I'm just thinking, I love where we're headed with this. And there's so many quotable lines out of there. But when you're sitting there and you're listening to these entrepreneurs come and pitch you, I mean, what a great position to hear what works and what doesn't work. For sure. And it sounds like you knew right away. Tell us how you knew right away which ones were going to sink and which ones were going to swim.
0: If it's a food product, if it doesn't taste good, it's not going to sell twice. It may sell once. You may have great packaging. I mean, this was like, you know, 20 years ago. So this was in the early days of gluten-free and all the freeze and all the organic. And I mean, I used to say, you know what? Gluten-free is fine, but taste-free doesn't sell. So literally, figuratively, does your product taste good? We Coming from the food industry, we believe that brands need to be sellable and craveable. Sellable, you have to have the capacity, the competency to actually get that product to market. If I'm a restaurant and I say, for whatever reason, I think I need to serve foie gras, if I don't know how to make foie gras, it doesn't matter how good I market it. And if the foie gras doesn't taste good, it doesn't matter how good I, how good I sell it. It's got to be sellable. But then it's gotta be craveable, meaning that if your product requires me to spend marketing money for you to buy it over and over, your product's not craveable. Your product is manipulable, okay? And there's some products out there. I want my product to be craveable and sellable. I want people to go, hey, they do what they say they're gonna do and we want them to do more.
1: And I'm just thinking about, that's not just applicable to food as well.
0: It's everything. Yeah, and so to your question, We would come in a situation and there were either, wow, I mean, we go long ways here, but there was either the product was great, but the sale was desperate. I mean, because we could bring a lot of volume to your business and brand. I mean, HEB has some of the, still some of the highest velocity of sell-through products. We also had, especially startup, newer brands come in and they did not have a sober understanding of their true capacity you're really saying you can deliver four pallets a week on this when you've only produced one pallet every two weeks, you know, so that, but then also from the standpoint of the sellable craveable, and and this comes back to the cereal box is that if people just hear about you at a cocktail party, can they understand from a sentence or two, when you introduce yourself, what you do and why they need that from you? So the, you know, retail merchandising is all about the two second rule. And so there were some products that were so great, but so complicated or so clever, or frankly, too innovative that in that market, they weren't going to sell, not with the competition of 50,000 SKUs in the same building. Sure. You got to stand out.
1: So when we were talking about how to not be a commodity and you said, go back to the origin story, because most entrepreneurs, indeed, we don't go, okay, I want to do exactly what that guy's doing. Like there are people out there, but- Buy a franchise. Yeah, right? exactly. That. Yeah. Like open a port of subs. But if you want something that is unique, especially with the pivoters that listen, they tend to be, you know, like, you know, 50 million revenue and under. Those businesses are going to be heavily influenced by the business owner. Yep. Right. For like sure. our face might be on a cereal box. I don't want my face on a cereal box, but we can make that gonna, happen. We're going to make that happen. Okay. So we need to do that. But it's going to be heavily influenced. And I love when you said that sometimes the customer can kind of, I don't want to say force you into, but sort of lead you into yourself being a commodity. Oftentimes it's a race to the bottom or it's let's do these other features that we're maybe not good at, but but our competitors are. So we need to include that in our suite and then we can dilute the thing that made us so great like our original offering. If someone's listening to that going, okay, well, am I commodity? How would they know if, well, first let's do this. What's the opposite of a commodity?
0: The opposite of commodity is a brand. That is something that is distinct, that is definable, that is literally like grabbable, like I can, and ownable. I mean, I share a story about Frosted Flakes. You can tell that's a takeoff on Tony the Tiger. And the question is, what does Tony the Tiger have to do with cereal? Well, nothing but everything. And literally, as I was working on one of my keynotes, I'm out in Vegas and walk past this Italian designer dress store, and there's a Tony the Tiger hoodie on a mannequin, like in this dress store. I was, so I, of course I had to walk in. Like, oh wow, I said, do you have this in extra, extra large? She said, well, these are actually for women. I was like, really? I said, do you sell a lot of them? She said, actually, yes, we can't keep them on the shelf. I was like, well, how much do they cost? She said $930. It was like literally a screen printed Tony the Tiger, on a hoodie nine thirty dollars and what she said was she was italian and in her accent she said you know americans had him for years and didn't know what to do with him we italians know what to do with tony the tiger <laughs> 930 hoodie for a mascot for a box of cereal that is a brand
1: i wonder if it's licensed material i'm just gonna ask the question well
0: you know it's kind of funny they're written up in like women's wear daily so it's out there but i mean this whole other story. But anyway, I mean, sometimes unlicensed can be the best thing for you, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they definitely were selling a bot. Don't know if Tony got the royalties, though. But my point is that that versus just being another box of cereal, because Tony the Tiger has created a personality around cereal. Okay. So a brand has personality, a brand is identifiable, a brand is something that literally you're proud of. I would say that. If people say, I love working with April, that's more of a brand. They say April is really good at what she does. You can be closer to commodity. Is there an emotional engagement with them? Do I like want you to win too? A commodity is something that is interchangeable. A commodity is something like corn that you can buy fresh air corn unhusked for 49 cents Or you could buy this 10 ounces of sautéed salt, sea salt and pepper, microwavable in a pouch, 10 ounces of corn for $4.49, say at Trader Joe's. Still the same corn, but it's what you did with the root ingredient. And you're talking about, you know, as entrepreneurs. Well, I think the reason why we as entrepreneurs can allow our businesses to commoditize themselves is we have to do three things. We have to run the business, we have to grow the business, and we have to change the business. RTB, GTB, CTB. And especially until we really fortify our leadership team, it all comes to us, right? So we get so caught on running the business and then shooting after sales, we don't really have time to change the business to innovate. And so that's where I think we can become a commodity. The other thing is we're so successful out of the shoots that we just start running the manufacturing line and filling up the trucks literally or figuratively, bringing in the cash, but it becomes mundane. And then other people are the ones innovating. And then we become, what used to be distinct, we become unrecognizable.
1: So when I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about like the business owners that I work with, I see definitely at the beginning, when I say the beginning, say like two to six, seven years into it, the focus is really on optimizing the product. Like product improvement, product improvement, product improvement. Do you think that we spend too much time trying to push our product towards excellence and not then transitioning over to, no, let's build the brand around it? Like, is it a law of diminishing returns at some point? You still need to innovate, obviously, but is that what you're seeing for small business owners?
0: Well, I would approach that a little differently. I would say that no matter what you're doing, if you've been in business seven years, you've been building your brand. Okay. The, the reality is, were you doing it intentionally or were you doing it haphazardly? And what that means is that you can either allow other people to write your story or you can write and communicate your story, okay? And so, sometimes your product itself is what sells the brand. We're a big fan of Sharpie markers, okay? And got one with my little face on it, how we grow a brand, but anyway.
1: I think I have one of those, I I think you you gave me one.
0: (laughs) No doubt, and so the deal is, I would love Sharpie markers if I had never seen a commercial because this is a superior product.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: You know, one of the things that I often ask uh, if I'm keynoting in a, like say the first time I did this, I was keynoting in San Francisco, 800 people in a room, no one like in their office. And I said, raise your hand if you own a Sharpie and like 95% raise your hand. Now leave your hand up if you know exactly where your Sharpie is right now. 85% left their hand up, right? Okay. That is like a brand. Now forget how cool the logo is. So I would say that it's not bad to be constantly innovating excellence. But if you're not like managing how you're positioning yourself, that means it's what I want you to think about me. If I introduce myself as a joy beast, I better you know, bring some joy, right? It is in my DNA. So it's authentic. And people have discovered that. I mean, like you, I didn't say, hi, April, I'm the joy beast. You got that impression. So that's good. But then to leverage it, I have to tell my story whether it's a marker or yourself or your mission in life, you know, so.
1: I love that. And I love this idea of either, if you've been in business, we said seven years, but I mean, it probably is true three to five years. If you've been in business that long, you have a brand. The question is, did you intentionally craft it, curate it, or did it organically happen? And maybe it's not the brand you want. Maybe it's the, I have a brand and my brand is having a crappy website and slow customer service. No one, even if you have a good product. So I'm just thinking about that. We've talked about branding on Pivot Me before a few times, and we've had some mutual partners between you and I, we've had them on some great conversations, but I I definitely think that there is the people that know about a brand and specifically a personal brand and they go, okay, I get it. I understand the value of it, but I think there's a lot of people out there that maybe are running, you know, a $30 million, we'll just say a roofing business. I'm thinking about a friend of mine, Michael, he runs a roofing business in, in Florida and we've worked together for a long time he thinks about the product. We have a superior product, but I'm just thinking how much time he's listening to this now. And he's like, Hey, I think about this. No, I don't know how much time, Michael, I'm calling you after Michael. We're going to talk about this. How much time he thinks about what is the brand of the business? You know, what does that business represent? He's been in business for 20 years. What is the actual brand?
0: So that is a great example because Michael probably has more than one salesperson. And if he's that size. And he probably has multiple people talking to prospects every day. Those people are telling your customers, your prospects, something, what are they telling them? And we paid more money than we could have with another roofing company, because we believed we were going to get a better overall experience from Belden roofing than we would have gotten with the other bids we got. It was not a race to the bottom now still quoted it but we had a superior experience from belden roofing because of the way they presented themselves on the first call the things they explained how they could help us with the insurance negotiations how they could explain the timing and how that they basically had proof that what they were saying was true okay now it wasn't like that kind of nauseating sales pitch it was a conversation like, here's the deal. You've got this damage. You got this danger. You can fix it now. You can fix it later. Here's the pros and cons. They showed up, but then they showed up when they said they would. They kept it within budget. You know what I mean? And so the deal though is, that especially for like home services, if you're not focusing on your brand, I believe you're leaving money on the table because then it comes down to, well, they're going to do it for $3 a square foot less.
1: Sure. And you are truly a commodity. Yeah.
0: And there are some customers that are going to buy that way. And you know what? Like in our, our firm, if if someone's looking for the lowest dollar for services, we're probably not your best choice. And we're okay with that. Yeah. We don't have to sell to everybody.
1: I will tell you that a lot of customers who buy off of as a commodity aren't pleased with the product they get because they're not emotionally invested in it, too. So if you are at a race to the bottom, just recognize that the quality of customers you get are also at the bottom.
0: That's right. And the problem with that is that, think about it, is you're getting a commissioned salesperson who's selling on price, who's making less money for the effort. So then therefore they put in less effort. Yeah. And so, it, but I mean, we do it. I mean, right. For sure. For sure. The deal is about a commodity is the market ultimately sets your value as a brand. You can, I use manipulate in a good word. Okay. And a good way. You at least can attempt to manipulate the value that the market sees you.
1: Absolutely. I use the word massage. I say the same thing, but I use the word massage instead of manipulate, but it's the same idea. And it's funny because some of the business owners, I'm just thinking of someone that I work with, Ben, and he does audio brands. So he writes, he's a composer and he writes audio brands. He wrote. Ours, he's amazing. And it was funny, we were having this conversation, and it was like, well, there's not a lot out in the marketplace. And I was like, doesn't matter, you get to set your price. Well, but shouldn't I get some data and feedback? No, 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 no. Like, you have this innovative thing, it's amazing, your skill set, what you bring. You truly can set your price on a lot of these things. And that will blow a small business owner's mind. They're like, well, but there's got to be a precedence and I've got to this and I've got to that. And I'm like, no, if someone's selling Tony, the tiger hoodies for $900, you literally can write your future. You just have to realize you're able to do that.
0: Right. That. And you also have to realize that some people you're not going to be affordable for, and that's that's okay. okay. That's okay. Keep talking to people for sure.
1: Absolutely. That's a really good point for anyone who's listening right now. If someone says that you're too expensive, they're outside your price range. That is not an indicator. I mean, if you have... 200 conversations like that, then, you know, you got to get curious. And I would say you got to get curious at the quality of prospect you're talking to too. So as an international business advisor, if I go to a business mixer where it's a bunch of startups and I'm talking to them, they're not going to be able to afford to work with me. And so if I used market feedback, I could go, oh, well, my prices are too high. This, this business model would never work. Well, no, I've been in business long enough to know that a new business can't. If I'm in a different setting where it's established business owners, then I'm in the right place. So if you are a business owner listening right now and you're saying, gosh, I just talked to, you know, maybe I've got a new product and I was excited about it. And I talked to two people and it wasn't a fit. Don't use that as an indication of you being priced out of the market. Get curious. Don't take it personal.
0: I love it. I love it for sure. You know, and, and you also got to like, to your point, assess where the data point's coming from. You know what I mean? Because I mean, I'll tell you as a business owner, like, so we're a marketing and branding firm. We're basically a marketing department for hire. We are not an ad agency. We hate ad agencies. We hate the whole billable hours, all that stuff. Anyway, so I do not approve every single invoice today. 19 years ago, I not only approved every invoice, I got the check through QuickBooks, okay? There are invoices that you like to write the check for, and there are invoices that you don't. Our goal is that our invoices are never questioned, that no one goes, golly, what did we but why do we spend this money with them this month? You know, that kind of thing. And if you're over delivering to what the expense to your customer is, then your price is right. If you're under delivering for the price, you're going to be out the door anyway.
1: Yeah, that's, that's true. I love that. I love that way that you just phrase that. Hey, Pivoter, I see you taking notes. I see you applying things into your business and life. Great work. But what if you could do it on a Zoom call with me? Well, here is your invite. I am hosting a free live event on Zoom where I get to know you, your challenges and help you work through them as we accelerate your growth together. This is a free virtual event and I'd love for you to join. Hop over to pivot-me.com backslash event and save your spot now. We'll keep these small. They will fill up. I'd love for you to be there. Again, it's pivot-me.com. Backslash event. We'll also put the link in the show notes, and I'll see you there. And another question I want to ask is: I mentioned this when we first started. As I said I was listening to a video of yours, and you were talking about sort of owning your greatness. Is how I took it, and that when someone acknowledges what you do, and whether that's your business or I think the context you are speaking of is when someone acknowledges something that maybe you're particularly gifted at personally. And that someone says hey man you really knocked it out of park in this way or you're a real genius at this and you kind of push back on what most people do and what most people are taught to do i think you know what i'm talking yeah, about exactly yeah can you expand on that like so when someone acknowledges you
0: yeah how you respond so our conditioning is if someone says man you look good today oh uh, no you know this is an old shirt there are are cons if someone Acknowledges positively that we are being conceited if we acknowledge it, and so our response is to downplay it. So basically, when we're doing that, one, we're telling the other person they're lying to us. I mean, think about it, man. April, you look great today. No, I don't. Okay, so you're saying I don't look great. Looks, you know what I mean? So one, there's inherent. but what I heard, and, and I, I believe it was Charles Swindoll back in the mid-90s, Charles Swindoll wrote these devotionals, Seasons of Life by Charles Swindoll. It was one of those many books. Anyway, he's speaking to actually a large group of Chick-fil-A, and he said that when you do not acknowledge a compliment, it is not humility. It is dishonesty. Wow. You're being dishonest with yourself and the other person. So let's say I started singing a solo and it was amazing. You go, oh my gosh, that was incredible. The first thing I say is, no, it wasn't really that good. You know, that's not humility. That's dishonesty.
1: That's interesting. Because what you're talking about, what you're proposing is actually very radical. Because it is a complete shift on how it's our like whole a, culture handles It's kind of like
0: a pivot, actually.
1: It is a pivot. Why Imagine you... that.
0: You Number know, two. and so we'll he went on to one. say that, thank you so much for saying that to me.
1: Mm. I mean, that's the response. Th- thank I mean you so much. if
0: I mean there's all kinds of response. I sure, mean, sure. But thank you so much for saying that. So I'll tell you, so I had a text from one of my team members. She'd been with me eight years. And I had a text from her th- Sunday that was thanking me for how giving I am. Okay. And I waited a day to respond to her because I mean, frankly, it's been kind of a rough week. I'm going to pull it up real quick. I'm not going to read what she said out of confidence, but let me tell you what how I responded to her. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. Your kind words really matter, and I'm so proud of what we have built together and so hopeful for the future. You're a consequential part of my life and our team, okay? I could have said uh, it was nothing and moved on, but it took me a day because, one, I read it three or four times. Because I mean, I had a close friend pass away two weeks ago. I mean, I believe you can be joy and sad at the same time. Actually, you got to hold on to the light of joy, even when things. And so the fact that on a Sunday of a holiday, she took the time to share that with me, it literally left me speechless. Okay. And she was doing something beautiful and I could have denigrated it. By blowing it off. When we acknowledge other people, which I think we need to do genuinely, not inauthentically, not like to be cute or suave or a great salesperson. But now, if if you're the person who tells me I look great every time you see me, I'm going to stop believing you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know I look great, but I mean, you know what I mean? So it's got to sure, be genuine. Sure. But when you brought this up, I, I hadn't really thought about this context, but I could have totally denigrated and... Mm-hmm. My reaction to her could have caused her to be less inclined to do that to someone else.
1: True, true.
0: And that is not joy and that is not stewardship.
1: I think what you're talking about though, Ed, it so like I said at the beginning, it's a radical shift in what we do, but I also think it has a measure of confidence that is needed because I'm just thinking about, here's why I zoned in on that comment is because I'm very sensitive to what you said. I was like, I feel similarly, but I'm sensitive to how The person, even the giver of the compliment, then receives your ownership of the compliment. And I'll give you a very specific example. One of my daughters has incredibly bright blue eyes. They're stunning. And I say that to the point of we cannot get through Costco or anywhere without people constantly stopping and commenting on her eyes, which if you're a parent of a child that has like a unique feature like that, you can see, you know that this can become problematic.
0: Yeah, Especially if they're like 13.
1: Yeah. So she's, she's not, she's still young, but it's going to become problematic. But what always surprised me about this is that she's a confident kid. Both of our daughters are very, very confident. Shocker. If some, <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know where they get it from. It's weird. If she smiles and says, thank you. You know what the giver of the compliment often says? Ooh, well, isn't she just so full of herself?
0: Oh, wow. And
1: I thought, wait a second. Nah, nah, what nah. are you doing to my kid? Yeah, Exactly. And I realized that after she'd heard this so many times, she started to respond differently where she'd look down or avert her eyes. And I'm like, Oh no, no, no. That's not how we're going to play this game. But it made me appreciate wow. how it's not just that we have to receive it and own it. It's that the giver of the compliment or even someone in the vicinity, the, in earshot, they may not like your ownership of it. And I would argue now that I'm thinking about this as, that you have to question the intention of the person giving the compliment. So the person who gave you that compliment genuinely wanted you to feel that. And so your receipt of that, your owning that compliment probably made her feel good, but maybe it's the intention of the person giving it. But I'll tell you, I've seen that situation play out so many times that I do think that the person who's receiving the compliment has to have a level of confidence or it's going to be a practice skill. Because if you got up and you sang open night at karaoke and someone said, oh, you did good. It takes a certain kind of like confidence to go, thanks. Instead of go, oh, did you hear my voice crack? Oh, well, I'm a little rusty. Oh, I'm just giving over you cold. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, exactly. April, that is really, that's consequential because was it the shock that how old is your daughter
1: She's nine now, but that started happening probably when she was about five.
0: Okay, so was it the shock that she responded so maturely that they were like, that it was so distinct? I mean, sometimes, okay, so I'll I'll use a customer example. Customers reject innovation because they can't see how it fits in their world. So let's say that person who said that horrible thing to your daughter, let's say that it was because it was so uncommon to see such a confident four-year-old that they didn't know how to respond. Let's just give them the benefit of the doubt, okay? Okay. I'm thinking a lot of other things, but we'll give them the benefit of the doubt, right?
1: Okay. Assume positive intent. Got it.
0: Assume positive intent. Okay. But the other thing is, could have been that they were being hazarded with their compliments and it wasn't really genuine. And then all of a sudden they were engaged. You know what I mean? And and I mean, that's where they started the conversation, right? But, you know, I hadn't, that's interesting. Yeah, because I was so confused.
1: Cause think about that scenario. That's not just with my daughter's eyes. No, that, like when someone compliments you, if you own it, not everybody is receptive to that. It's like they they the expectation is that you you bat it away. That's the expectation, and I don't. Know so that's screw the, the expectation.
0: I don't. I mean, screw the expectation. I mean, I'm not playing that game. Yeah, you know, I'm 55 years old versus 22 or 14. But I got to tell you, the 50s are awesome. You <laughs> know because. You really, I mean, I don't use profanity, but, you know, my two mantras in life are joy begets joy and don't fuck with me. They actually compliment each other very well. But anyway, it's like, you say that to me, I'm going to accept it as genuine. I'm going to respond that way. And if you don't like the way you respond, sorry.
1: Yeah, I think it's just a really good point for anyone who's listening right there, that it's like, if you were to accept a compliment, I totally agree that you should, and you should own it. It's about, really, it's about taking your power. Like, it's, it's just owning it. Just like owning who you are. Know that- not everyone's going to receive that okay, or, or not, not everyone's going to receive that well, and that's okay. It's not up to you to make them feel better. If someone compliments you, own it. And if they're uncomfortable, like the many women who have complimented my daughter's eyes and then responded negatively when she just said, thank you. It's not up to her to manage how they responded.
0: Well, seeing then, you know, because like I'm a word guy, I'd be going, okay, so so what can my daughter say in response? And one thing could be my, aren't you confident? No, ma'am. I just really appreciate the words you just shared with me. Ooh. Or, you know, something like that.
1: That's good. Yeah. Yeah,
0: But it means like truly cause that I didn't say thank you. Cause I'm confident or I'm snotty. I'm saying, thank you. Thank you for saying that to me. Nothing else. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's good. Because you know, Ooh, I'm tired like of, that. I'm
0: tired of like, I'm tired of owning other people's storylines. If you think I'm conceited and I am, then you're right.
1: I'm tired of owning other people's storylines. Yeah. Well said. Ain't that the truth? I think that's in the fifties. Yeah. But we can bring it down. If you're, if you're listening and you're, we can bring it into the thirties and the twenties. And I'm
0: seeing that our, our kids are 23 and 27. And I'm seeing that in the younger generation. A lot of said negatively about, you know, blah, 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 you know, but they kind of own their shit, you know what I mean? And they don't necessarily pick up other people's and they care about it. Oh,
1: yeah. You know? And yeah. so,
0: and, and again, going back to how we started this conversation, part of my inability to see life on full clarity terms was because I was carrying around too many, too many people's shit.
1: Yeah. That's so true. Have you read codependent no more? I was just thinking about that. I have earlier. not. No. Okay. Just when you're saying about owning other people's shit, I was like, mm, there's a, Book that there's about No, that's about good.
0: That. That's yeah, good.
1: Yeah, yeah. I will tell you, I put off years reading that because I was like, mm, I don't know that I want to read. Yeah, that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sometimes knowledge is dangerous. Uh,
1: well, it, because it, we feel like once we know, we have an obligation to act.
0: Most sometimes, of us sometimes, most of us do.
1: So, some people do. Some people do. Some, sometimes you can just agree down to have the knowledge, it doesn't mean you have to act right away. That's um, exactly right. No, that's. Uh, <laughs> Good. Don't own other people's shit. I love this or their storylines. It kind of goes back to what other people think about me. Isn't necessarily my business. I I love this. I love this. And I love the way you rephrased how you can own a compliment. And and guys, I just really want to emphasize that really own when... Because our brain naturally focuses on all the things that people say bad about us, right? I mean, you have to be complimented five or six times to undo one negative thing someone says about this. So I'm not necessarily talking about in your business. I'm talking about you personally. We can change those numbers if we really own the positive things people say to us. Like if we really wrap our arms around it, it can overshadow those other things.
0: Well, and I think we also have to like on this, because this is helpful for me, because I mean, I can still fall into my old way and measure. The significance of it you know i i as you were talking i was trying to think through where people have been kind of rude or whatever and it was a couple years it was before mass so three years ago whatever i was flying out of airport and i'd been on like 10 flights in four days whatever i fly a lot i've got a lot of status i get to board early that kind of stuff and there was a young person that i didn't body check i didn't knock him down i didn't even come near his body space but i walked deliberately towards the gate, passing his line by, and he goes under his breath, you must think you're hot shit. Okay, I didn't have a single conversation with him, you know, at all, like, I, and I literally didn't, I mean, it's not like, I'm I'm not the one that's gonna body check, you know what I mean? But I was just like, I started to respond. And I was like, inconsequential. Now, 20 years ago, I would either responded or I would have wrapped around, was I rude? You know, all this kind of stuff. Inconsequential, let it go, right? You know what I mean. So, yeah. but then if you tell me my blue eyes are distinct or beautiful, I'm gonna say thank you.
1: That's good. And that compliment was more about him than it was about you, or that that criticism rather was about apparently
0: <laughs> about
1: you. It would have been a great opportunity to turn around and sing what is it like Nelly song? Hot in here? Like oh, shit doesn't <laughs> that start like that. I think I think in my mind that's the first oh, line. Oh, walking
0: down the jetway, I had plenty of unproductive responses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's always something You're like, oh, I got so many good results or so many good responses, but I'm a good person now. Okay. So I do have our kind of one final question, but right. before I do that, wait, so I want to do two things. I want to both understand the best way to connect with BTY creative, and then also the best way to connect with you specifically. So where would someone go to get more of this?
0: Oh, well, that's cool. So our company, our enterprise is BTY creative. B-T-Y Creative. Our website's btycreative.com. B-T-Y stands for boldest, truest you. <laughs> Imagine that, distinct. And then my personal website is edhowie.com. You got all information to our social links. And then on YouTube, we have uh, multiple episodes of our YouTube channel, which is really focused for entrepreneurs, which is called How We Grow a Brand, H-O-W-A-E. Grow a Brand, it's all under the Ed Howie YouTube channel.
1: Perfect. And we're going to put all the links in the show notes as well. Perfect. But I wanted to definitely highlight both of those. So when we're kind of wrapping up the end of a Pivot me interview, we always like to ask this question. If you could tell the world one thing, what would it be?
0: Hmm. You know, my answer changed since we first started. I would say what I would tell the world was, so I teach indoor cycling, teach spin class. 1200 classes and the guy with the microphone and the sweat and the speed. But anyway, I would tell you that you are stronger than you think you are, you know, and that's driven by your response about your daughter in Costco is like, she could take that feedback from another human and believe she needs to be weaker. And that's a lie. And that's what the world tells us. Unfortunately, there's more people sadly like that woman in Costco. So kind of goes along with own your shit is that, you think your business is distinct. you and I are distinct human beings, uniquely created, and there's no one like us. So why do we hide from that? And so I would say you are stronger than you think you are. And I don't mean just like stronger to overcome the challenge. I mean stronger to live into the fullness. You know, my grounding principle is the principle of stewardship, which I believe is the opposite of commodity. Commodity is like, use it up, let the market set. Stewardship is doing all you can with what you have today. I've lost four people close to my life in the last four months. One guy was 37, two were 61, and one was 70. I mean, we true, I mean, yeah, it's biblical, whatever. We only have this moment. So why pull back from it? Let's live it to the fullest. And we're gonna screw up and we're gonna be rude sometimes. And I mean, this is not perfection, but we are strong. If if we truly recognized how strong and capable we are, what could we do? I'm a freaking 55 year old is teaching two spin classes for 50 minutes today after not having ridden a bike for 10 days because i was on vacation you know what i mean that's not totally logical i may regret it <laughs> it's probably a bad
1: time. idea not enough saddle time
0: but you know what but i intentionally said i'm going to do that because i'm going to get back into this full so live life to the fullest but know you're stronger than you think you are because i will add one more thing because i mean this i can't just give you one instance right but this goes back to, again, I tell you, April, you're i mean, pivoting me. I'm going to share this story about your daughter in blue eyes for years to come. I mean, it's going in the book. I mean, that is like, that is so robust and so consequential. And what it causes me to realize is that, okay, we're uniquely designed and we are capable. But unfortunately, there are forces in the world that want to minimize that. And that is not stewardship. That is not living to the fullness of life. And you know, I may not have tomorrow, but I got today. And so I'm going to be the most dead I can possibly be today. And I'm not going to be apologetic about it. You don't like me? Sorry. If I do something bad to you, tell me.
1: But you have positive intent. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes, but if you're out there and you're trying to be a good person, when you make a mistake, when you stumble, you, you apologize. That's what you do. That's right. And then you move on.
0: Yeah. Because, and I would say that I believe, A lack of intentions each day is basically intention. You're choosing not to be intentional, Mm. but that's a whole nother episode. I got to
1: ask though, Ed, I'm just thinking about the fact that you, so I knew that you did the spin classes, which I loved. I learned that in Nashville. And I thought this guy is an onion, man. Like here's another layer, but I'm just thinking about the fact that you had this bad accident. Oh, I got to tell you why that's significant for me. So I had this terrible accident and I ended up having knee reconstruction and lots of things went wrong. I had multiple dislocations and anyways, titanium and cadaver parts and all the wires and screws. Yep. It has not been the same. And it's been a frustrating experience because I used to do triathlons and run and avid hiker and all this sort of stuff. And it's been frustrating for me to sort of find my way back to, we'll say athletic April. And I'm just mm-hmm. thinking, you said you had four knee surgeries, was it?
0: I had four knee surgeries in five months. Yeah.
1: And you're a spin instructor.
0: I am now. Uh, I started teaching eight years after my surgery. Wow. And when I finished, when I was released from PT, I only had a 95% extension in my right leg. It's funny because that's the same I have in my right leg. That's all insurance will pay for, by the way.
1: <laughs> that's what they They'll pay, pay for, for, no, too, I guess. No,
0: that is. They won't pay for you to get to 100. I mean, literally, the PT said the next five's up to you. I was like, okay, game on, baby.
1: Yeah. Wow. But- so this interview is significant for me too, Ed, because I'm just thinking about, I was like, same amount of knee extension and yet you're eight years later a spin instructor.
0: Well, and I'll tell you that again, intentionality is, I mean, I'll do it. and I guess I'll go to the silver spinners class or something as I get older. But I mean, one of the reasons, I mean, I, I, I mentioned, I didn't ride for 10 or 12 days. If I don't do this for 10 or 12 days, I feel it now. I'm, I'm still mobile and stuff, but. I have a microphone. I call it my pulpit. I'm not afraid to preach and sweat at the same time. You know, that kind of thing. But it's also selfish. It is like for me because I want to be able to go places.
1: Mm, Yeah. Explore, adventure. You know what? I usually don't do this, but I'm going to take this another step farther because I just need to know. So this is going to be a big one, but I've already dropped some big ones. I like, I threw some fast pitches. You knocked it out of the park. So I know you can handle this one as well. End of your life. What was success? Like when you look back, what does it look like?
0: Having just done one of my close friends eulogy, less than Mm. two weeks. This is fresh. I mean, you hear this and it's trite. No one talked about how many deals he closed. I don't even think we mentioned his employer. It was about the impact, the connection, the way he showed up in other people's lives. He happened to be my sponsor. So for 15 years, he and I were tight comrades, full disclosure, full transparency, full champion of each other. And, and I would tell you, April, the other thing was that it wasn't based on quantity. It was, We didn't spend the most time together, but our connection was deep. And so it's this right here, frankly, April. I mean, if hey, we can turn off the recording, we could do this for hours. I mean, the, I knew the second I met you, I wanted you in my life. And the deal is that you were the first one to initiate an action beyond just the time we had. You know what I mean? And so, you know, yeah, business, woo, profits, woo, humans, woo.
1: Connection. We're remembered by how we affect others.
0: We are. I mean, and that is your distinction. So, you know, biblically is well done, good and faithful servant that's where my principle of stewardship comes from, is that I think we're held accountable for how we use the life and breath we've given. And my prayer every day and every time I pray since 15 and a half years ago, 16 years ago, 17 years ago, has been, thank you, God, for life and breath today. And I was with a bunch of people 48 hours after the funeral. It was the first time I said that out loud to a group. We were praying before dinner, and it just rang a lot differently than it did three days before. And so, wow.
1: I think it's interesting because there are a few people that you meet that are truly living their legacy, like that they carry around with them every day. Hey, I know what I want people to say about me and I'm living it every day. And it's so clear that you're one of those people, that you're impacting others, you're influencing others, and that people that get the joy to know you, work with you, work alongside you. I mean, you are the definition of an influencer, and I just think that's amazing to watch. I hope you inspire. I know you'll inspire so many people in your life, but also that are listening right now that thinks, I want to live my life the same way, because we don't always get the wake up call. Sometimes it's just the call. (laughs) And so let this be the wake up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, my buddy died. I mean, he was riding his bike on a trail we'd run before, had a heart attack, died instantly. I mean, it's the way to go, frankly not a sixty-one, but and I'm going to say this: I almost didn't share the thing that my employee shared because I didn't want to be like bragging. Okay, but then I was like, Screw that. Because you, your
1: intention it, wasn't to brag, perfect,
0: right? But the re- one of the reasons why that was so consequential is that she sent that on Sunday, and I was on vacation last week. After the funeral was last Friday, I learned the news a week before. So she and the rest of my team have been carrying me a lot the last two weeks. So one of the reasons why I was speechless, because she was calling me generous when it was just the opposite. She and the team had really carried so much more than they always do for me that it was literally, wow, that that I was feeling the other way. You know, so, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm just, I'm just tired of the lady in Costco. She chose her words both times. You can accept what you need to accept and you can reject what you need to reject. Just be wise about it. Absolutely. Right?
1: There will always be a lady in Costco. Maybe her name is Karen. They're, they're Maybe it's not. It's hard to say. But we can't <laughs> let that influence. We can't let us influence. Wow, what book was that? It was like cab driver number no. five. Oh, I can't remember the book reference. But essentially the story is don't let cab driver number five, like when you watch a movie and it goes through like the roles and then it's like walker number two, runner, you know, like some person who walks on set and they don't even get their name. Like it's not even significant enough for them to have a name in the movie and how many people, I wish I could remember this reference, but how many people are changing their lives, their business, all that stuff because of cab driver number five. And that's her. That's the lady in Costco. And when
0: I finish almost every cycling class, one of the last things I say as we're pulling down is we walk out of here stronger, calmer, with more breath and more joy. Don't let anyone steal your joy because they're going to try. And I mean, there's some people out there, but you know what? It's your joy?
1: Yeah. And you never know when you're going to impact them. You never know when I told the late, cause this wasn't just one lady in Costco. This happened numerous times, but when I have pulled them aside afterwards and told them that their response was inappropriate and that I would celebrate my daughter's confidence and her security and oh well, yeah I don't leave
0: a, I don't leave a lot of <laughs> yeah but not just color kind of the one up but because hopefully they received that in the way you intended because you didn't you weren't trying no, to knock them I, down I don't you're trying to I, I am trying them. to educate them Defend your daughter and educate them and hopefully they they th- you know, that data point was in their sure, head then. For right? sure.
1: I, I always share it. Um, and it's, and I, ha- I have an intention and I know, I know how to communicate. I make sure that it's not, if you make them defensive, oftentimes the wall goes up and they hear nothing of what you said. I do it to, to potentially educate. They'll receive it how they receive it. But maybe the next time they'll think twice on, could I own something like that? Is that, maybe they'll think twice about saying it, but also why did I say that? I think it's so important when you see things like that or you witness something like that. I'm a big believer in giving feedback in those situations. Yeah, me too. Because I don't, I never walk away from the situation. like, oh, I should have said something. No, 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 no. I'm like, nope, I said exactly what I wanted to say because I believe that those are opportunities. They'll take it or they won't, but maybe they'll think twice about that. And that response was more about her than it was about my daughter, but we got to lift each other up and maybe she'll think twice about like, oh, this is what it looks like.
0: I love it, Yeah.
1: This has been amazing. I so appreciate what you do from a professional perspective, but your joy and your energy and your stewardship, you said that was your intention or your purpose? I'm trying to think of the word you use.
0: It's my purpose. Purpose. It's basically, you know, you've probably heard the solution we bring to the world, right? But I mean, it literally is my calling. Is to not only be a good steward, but to inspire stewards. Well,
1: brand is what people say about you when you're not around. And that is definitely what people would say about you when you're not around. So well done, my friend. That's
0: awesome. Awesome.
1: Right. Have an amazing day. What an amazing person, Ed Howie is. I'm grateful that we were able to speak to him when we did, even though it's a pretty delicate moment in his life, having lost quite a few people close to him very recently. His closing words were powerful, but let's recap on several of the points Ed made here with us today. When I asked him how we can make sure we are not a commodity, something like corn or milk, where a buyer cares a little about the producer of the product and more about the low price and convenience, he gave us some insightful tips. First, go back to your origin story. Why did you choose to start this business? Why was it that you went through the blood, the sweat, the tears to lift this thing off the ground? Was it that the market wasn't getting what it needed, that all the competitors left out the secret sauce? Was it that your story was unique and people needed to hear from someone like you? Go back to your original why. Number two, be clear about what makes you different. Stand out. Don't give up distinction for more efficiency. He says you can have them both. If you've gotten fuzzy on what makes you different, Ask some of your committed clients, your staff. Get a good read on why others think that you're different. And remember, as Sally Hogshead has said, different is better than better. Number three, write your brand story. As Ed said, it always is being written. Just need to decide if it's being written by you or something else. Craft it, narrate it, be clear what you stand for and what you don't, and let your customers, clients, and audience know that. Then Ed and I pivoted the conversation. I had seen Ed speak before when he talked about batting away compliments given to us and that it's not you being humble, it was you being disingenuous. I had to ask about that. I had to know more. So now I'm curious, having, you know, you listened to this conversation between Ed and I, I'm curious about you, Pivoter. What's your experience with this? Do you easily accept compliments or do you also brush them off? And if you brush off compliments when they're given to you, Is it because it's awkward for you? Is it because you don't believe it? Or as our conversation highlighted, is it simply because you've been conditioned not to receive it? That if you were to receive it, it would be considered rude or conceited. Insert the word. I think we can all do better than that. I think we can raise a generation to both give and receive compliments readily and to accept others that are accepting their compliments readily. There will always be a lady in Costco that wants to crash your party, but she can only crash it if you invite her to it. In closing, I want to share a little bit behind the scenes. So when I've guests on PivotMe, I've got the series of questions that I run through before the mics get turned on. Make sure we make the most of this interview, that we add the most value to you, that the interviewee also gets out of it what they're looking for too. And in this series of questions, one of the things I ask is, what does a successful interview look like today? Now I get a variety of answers to that question, but today I'm going to share with you what Ed said before the mics were turned on. When I asked him what success was for our talk, he said that lives will be changed because people invested time with us. It's a good answer. So I replied with, "And how will their lives be changed? And he said that they will either recognize more joy in their life or they will be more intentional about seeking more joy in their life. Man, what a response wanted to share that with you because that's how this guy's wired. And I hope you found some joy today in this episode of Pivot Me. Go connect with Ed and his company and I hope you make it a great day. And stay away from those ladies at Costco because man, they will try to steal your joy, but they can only do it if you give it up to them. Make it a great day. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at TheAprilGarcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors, and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys.
0: You guys are amazing.